one can stand in victory. Uh, that by your name, we have overcome our sin. We have overcome ourselves. Uh, and we can come into your light. I pray that that would not grow old to us. Uh, it would strengthen us. It would empower us. Uh, I pray that you would speak through Michael. Uh, that his words would be powerful. Uh, that, that your scripture would speak into our hearts, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And you may be seated. It's good to see each and every one of you this morning. Thank you for choosing uh, out of uh, all that goes on in, in our life to, uh, to choose to spend time with your brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, to choose to fellowship with one another. Um, there is an outline in the bulletin you can follow along this morning. If you need one, Bo would be happy to hand one out to you. If you'd raise your hand, he will give one of those to you this morning. Just a couple of announcements before we get started. There are a couple of sign-up sheets uh, in the hallway on the table. One is for uh, just some assistance for nursery help. You have a nursery worker, but it's helpful to have someone else in the room so that if there's a problem, they can come get a parent. We'd like to have enough folks sign up on that that you do that about once every two months. So if we had like eight people that could put their name on that, and that's really junior high and up could help out just to, to rock someone, hold someone, or uh, come get a parent if needed. So uh, you can sign up on there. If there was eight of them, you'd end up doing that once every two months during this hour uh, only. There's also a sign-up sheet in the hallway. One of the things we do is uh, a family once a month will take on the responsibility of cleaning the church once a month, a, a thorough cleaning, windows, carpets, floors, sweeping, mirrors, and all that stuff. So if you would... Uh, your family wants to do that, if you would sign up in the hallway out there as well. Uh, two weeks from today, we're going to have a cover dish, so bring something to share. There'll be some more information about that coming soon. We've rearranged since the last time we did this, so we may modify that just a little bit, what that looks like. We'll talk about that, because we've moved all of some tables up front, which is, are going to make things a little awkward for serving. But we'll figure out those details when we get there, and if it doesn't work well this time, there'll be another fifth Sunday around the corner very soon, and we'll try again. Uh, and finally, next Sunday after church, or Sunday afternoon, there are some families that are going to go to Cleveland, Tennessee. Uh, the band Gungor is in doing a free concert at the university, kind of first come, first serve. But that auditorium holds like 1,700 or something, so... I've heard there should be room. Uh, but there's folks that are going to meet at the Okoe Olympic Center at 445 with a picnic lunch or dinner, whatever you want to call that time that's too early for dinner but too late for lunch. Um, you can join them there and then go to the concert together after that. I think that's all that needs to be said, at least I hope. Um, the song we just sung, In His Name We Overcome It. It's interesting Jesus, on more than one occasion in the writers of the New Testament, in a sense, co-opted, took for himself the name Lord. The Old Testament, Yahweh. Jesus took that for himself. The disciples all called him that in their letters they wrote. In his name, in other words, in his authority, because of what he did on the cross... We overcome. And that's a, that's a good thing. I want to start this morning by reading our scripture. We're in Colossians. We're in the middle of a series on Colossians. Um, 
entitled Don't Think Outside the Box. Our problem is, is that we tend to do that too much when it comes to our relationship with God. We want to add things to it. And what Paul is very adamant about from beginning to end is, is that we're not supposed to think outside of the box, which is the gospel. So this morning we're going to continue looking at that and we're going to be in Colossians. Um, we're actually going to back up a little bit. I'm going to read some stuff we read last week. So we're going to begin in chapter 1, verse 13. If you would turn there with me, and I'm going to read all the way to verse 23. So chapter 1, verse 13 to verse 23. If you've heard this passage before, it's because I've read it before, and you'll probably hear it again. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself. Having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our wills to hear and understand, and then to obey. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Augustine, that uh, bishop back in the 4th century, said this in a prayer to God. You made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And then about 1,500 years later, the author Leo Tolstoy asked this question as he was thinking about what it is that lasts, what it is that is permanent. He asked this question, is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? I think Paul would say, that's a good question. Is there anything in your life, in my life, that death is not going to wipe away? And there's a lot of things that death is going to wipe away. But is there anything that death won't wipe away? And we're going to see that clearly this morning in Colossians. Paul wants us to continue in the faith. And to do that, I think his premise in this section is, you have got to understand the extent of the redemption. If you don't understand the extent of the redemption, you're not going to continue in the faith because something else will become more attractive. 
we've talked about the first part of that. We talked about it all last week, the supremacy of Christ. You have to, first of all, understand the supremacy of Christ. I don't have time to go over all that we did last week, but I briefly want to talk to you about a few things. Number one, he's the creator of everything. As we read through that middle section, how many times Paul says all things, all things, all things, visible and invisible. He created all things, therefore he's Lord of all things. He's going to inherit all things. It's all his. And until we understand that, that he really is, Jesus really is truly God, we won't continue in the faith. We'll dabble in things that we think are more important. Second, he's intimately connected to his church. It says he's the head of the body. The one who created everything cares enough about us, including this little fellowship right here, to say, I am head of that body. I am the husband of that bride. He's intimately connected to us. And that right there is a very humbling thought that the creator of the universe would be so concerned with me that he would call me, call us his body. Third, we looked last week that he is the firstborn from the dead. In other words, he's the first one to be resurrected we learn other places, as the guarantee that we will also be. That that sacrifice was sufficient to God. He was the firstborn from the dead. It guarantees our resurrection as well. And that is the supremacy of Christ. And if you don't understand how bright that light is, if you don't understand that that's where we have to focus, you won't continue in the faith because there's lots of other shiny, bright things out there to attract your attention in this world that will pull you away from that truth and you won't continue in the faith. You'll, you'll dabble in other stuff. You'll, as Paul told the Galatians, you've fallen from grace. Not that they've lost their salvation, but you've missed life by doing that. You've missed the joy of walking with the Savior. But that's only a third of the equation. There are two more parts you've got to understand to continue in the faith. The supremacy of Christ, His majesty, His wonder, His beauty. But you've also got to understand the rebellion of man. You really have to understand the depth of that chasm between who He is and who we are. We go back up to verse 13. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. And, and it's not just like God looked down and said, Oh, there's some nice people playing in the playground. I'll get them. Oh, look, the, the good boys and girls club. I'm going to pull those out of there. We were in the domain of darkness. We were trapped. Paul says in, in 2 Timothy, we were held captive by the devil. But it's not like he just went around and started plucking people and, and held them ransom. We willingly and knowingly walked into that domain. We showed up on this planet sinful and depraved. And our actions bore that out. We enjoyed the domain of darkness. That's where we 
live. That's where we move. It's where we have our being. And we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Um, but there are three other things that he wants us to see beginning in verse 21. It says, You were formerly alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds. It's our position, it's our thoughts, and it's our actions. We were alienated. Um, we were estranged. Uh, that word is used by uh, an early bishop of Rome about the turn of the first century. He said that um, jealousy between husbands and wives have estranged them and they've annulled what our father Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Estrangement, alienation, is the opposite of unity. It's the opposite of fellowship. That was our position. We were alienated from God. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 2. And it was because of, Paul says in Ephesians 2, our hardness of hearts that led us to ignorance. We had a hard heart. That hard heart never moved us to try to learn anything about God, and therefore we were alienated. We were left out. We were not unified. And that was our position. That's where we lived. It's what we enjoyed. We liked that. It wasn't just our position. He says we were hostile in mind. Um, that word hostile could also be translated as an enemy. It's the same word used of both Satan and death as an enemy of God in the Scriptures. You were an enemy in your mind. That doesn't just mean that piece of gray matter. That, that word really means your way of thinking, your disposition. It's the word that when they translated the Old Testament into Greek, it was the word that translated the Hebrew word for heart. It was our mode of life. It was what we loved. And that was hostile to God. The way we thought, our disposition, the way we oriented our life was an enemy to God. And that necessarily led to the fact that we did evil deeds. We did wicked deeds. Now, some of you are saying, well, now, wait a minute. I wasn't that bad. I never killed anybody. You know, I've never robbed a bank. How could you say that I was hostile to God and I did evil deeds? Yeah, okay, maybe I said a few lies and I was mean to my brother and sister when I was little, but I wouldn't call it wicked, right? I mean, isn't Paul exaggerating here just a little bit? Well, let's think about it for a moment. Let's say we decided as a group that we were going to form our own country. And so we built a fence and we made up our own rules. And there were good rules, mind you, good rules. We were nice to each other. But we decided we're not going to be part of the U.S. anymore. We're not going to pay taxes, those type things. How long do you think that would last before someone would come knocking on the fence we built? Probably not long. That's, that's called treason, right? When you set yourself up as Lord of your life, no matter how good that looks, right? When you build a life, and maybe we replace these words with being a good boy, right? Um, joining the Boy Scouts, right? Um, being kind to my neighbor, 
living in America, going to church, but you're doing that in your own strength, without God, without depending upon Him, that's treason. That's rebellion. No matter how good it may look on the outside, and, and right, Jesus said that the Pharisees were like whitewashed tombs. It looks really good on the outside. You're doing lots of good things, right? But the inside's full of rottenness. And no matter what we do, if it's apart from God, no matter how good it looks, it's treason. And last remember, in this country anyway, treason is a capital offense. It deserves the death penalty. Nobody even has to die. And Paul says, that's who you were. And for us to continue in the faith, we have to understand the difference between that and who Christ is. We have to get that in our minds. We have to dwell on that, think on that. Let that sink in. The one who gave everything so that everything might be his compared to the wickedness of us who are only concerned about ourself. It's not that God just needed to come down and kind of clean us up a little bit. This is not about moral reformation. It's about internal transformation. We can't just clean it up a little bit. We can't just follow some more rules. We've talked about that. You can't just give me my list and I'll check those boxes and I'll, I'll be a good Christian. You have to understand the extent of the redemption or you will not continue in the faith. The third thing you've got to understand is that it's far apart, and I, I can't make these any farther apart. We've got too much stuff on the stage. As far apart as these things are, God reconciled them. And that may be the most amazing truth of all. The one who was Lord of everything reconciled us who were hell-bent on ourselves. And there are three things we need to see about that reconciliation which are even more amazing. Number one, verse 19 it was the Father's pleasure to do that. Notice it says, It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself. That phrase, the Father's good pleasure, goes with both of those, sorry, grammar time, both of those infinitive clauses. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. That's okay. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Christ, and it was the Father's good pleasure through Him to reconcile all things. It gave Him joy. He wanted to. It wasn't begrudging. Oh, I've got to get that Michael guy reconciled. All right, if I have to. It pleased Him. He wanted to. He delighted in it. It was a joy for the Father to reconcile you and me to Himself. In and of itself, that's rather amazing because we were in rebellion, right? We had committed treason 
and he delighted in reconciling us to himself. But that's not all. It was the Father's pleasure, but it was the Son's price that did that. How did that happen? He reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his Christ's cross. It was the Father's pleasure. We read that in Isaiah as well. It was the Father's pleasure that Christ should suffer for us. That Christ should take the wrath that you and I deserve. That pleased the Father. Instead of us taking the wrath that we deserve because we were in rebellion, because we had committed treason, instead of being pleased to inflict wrath upon us, He was pleased to inflict wrath upon His Son that you and I might be reconciled. And until you and I understand that, we won't continue in the faith because we'll think that maybe we had some part to play in that. Well, I was a decent kid. I said some good things. I did right things. It wasn't just that he, he didn't need to give us a list of do's and don'ts. He needed to die for us. I don't know how many how different ways I can say that, but that's got to sink in. That has to sink in that the Father was pleased for His Son to die for us. Why? Why did He do that? Well, it was for our presentation. Look at verse 22. Yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death. Why? In order to present you before Him holy and blameless and above reproach. See, we were in the domain of darkness, but He reconciled us that we might stand before Him. We were alienated and hostile and evil, and He reconciled us so that we would stand before Him holy and blameless and above reproach. That's the extent of the reconciliation. Now, there are two things that are going on here. Number one, we know because of the cross that we have salvation. We are considered in the Father's eyes holy and blameless and above reproach. What's interesting is all of these words there have a hint of the sacrificial system behind them. They're words that are commonly used in the order of worship in that day. You present your sacrifice that's blameless and above reproach, the lamb that is spotless. It's the same idea. And so Paul's not just talking about our positional, the way the Father looks at us. He's talking about that if we don't understand the extent of the redemption, we won't, as Paul says in Philippians, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's not just that he wants us positionally before God to be right. He wants us really, when we show up, that our lives mirrored that, to be holy and blameless, and above reproach. Not as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that we just escaped as though through a fire. Because of the mercy and grace and goodness of God, there will be some of those people that escape as though through a fire. 
I don't, I don't understand God's grace that he would allow that to happen. I, in my kind of black and white mind, I think, well, God, either we, we should be all in or all out. And I think if he was that way, I probably would be all out. And so I'm thankful. I rejoice that he chose to reconcile me. And then if I read this right, that if I understand that, if my mind is fixed on that, if I dwell on those things, then my life will begin to echo that. Then we get to verse 23, which has caused some people trouble. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope. See, we do have to do stuff. Well, not exactly. He doesn't say if you continue to be faithful. He says if you continue in the faith. What is that? Well, that's the gospel. That's the grace of God in truth. He goes on to say, notice the end of that the end of that verse, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard. goes back to the beginning of chapter 1. They had heard the grace of God in truth from Epaphras. He was pleased with that. He commended them for that, and then he prayed for them because he knew it was hard to keep that in, in their minds. And what Paul is, is saying to us is that you have to continue in the faith. God's purpose is that we would be a holy people. He's done that in principle as He's dealt with our sin on the cross. But what He wants is for us to be that way so that the world sees Him. Remember, we were created in His image to be His representatives on this planet. And so what Paul is saying is, this is a, a guarantee, this is a, an assurance for you if you continue in the faith, if you continue in the gospel, not moved away, not adding things to the gospel as we talked about last week, not trying to, to fix myself up, if you continue in the faith, it's a guarantee that you have been reconciled. It's a guarantee to you that you that you have been brought from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. If all we try to do is, is add things to our faith, then what ends up happening is we try moral reformation. We try to be good. We try to live our lives in a way that looks good to those around us, and we ultimately will fail over and over again. The only way for you to continue in the faith in a way that pleases God is to fix your mind, as he's going to say later in chapter 3, on things above. On the fact that you were here and God has brought you into the light. And we're going to walk out that door in a little while, and we're going to be accosted by things that will tell us that's really not all you have to do. You really do need to try to clean yourself up. You need to try harder. And Paul would say, no, a thousand times, no. You have to fix your mind on the extent of the redemption. Who God is, 
who you were and what he did to bring you from point A to point B. I want us to do something a little different in a little bit of time we have left. I want us to to respond to that in, in prayer. We broke up a couple weeks ago into groups and prayed. I want us to kind of just do this silently. I want to lead us through some, some prayers. You can just respond to God silently. But I want us to think about what we have done and ask God to make those things real to us. So I'm going I'm to pray and then give us some time to pray silently. And then I'm going to pray some more and give us some time to pray silently. And then pray some more and give us some time to pray silently and respond to the truth of what God has said to us. And then we'll say one more thing and then we're going to sing one more song.